Welcome to The Blockchain Lawyer, a podcast on technology and law. Dennis Hilleman is an accomplished lawyer with over 13 years of experience and a passion for creating a better future through blockchain technology, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive innovations. All statements expressed in this podcast are the opinions of the host and his guests only and are in no way legal or financial advice. And now, here is your host, Dennis. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of A Blockchain Lawyer. I actually record this from a car. No worries, I'm not driving. But I'm recording this because I, today I attended the roundtable of a German government concerning privacy, and the subject of the day was blockchain. So it was a, so it was a privacy and blockchain roundtable. And I know quite a few are waiting for the podcast today. So that's my, since my day is fully packed in the evening, I already, I already recorded in the afternoon to keep you updated. So I hope you don't mind that the, today the sound quality is a bit lower than usual because in the back you will probably hear the German Autobahn and at times you might hear a nice female voice telling us where to go. So anyhow, this was the roundtable of a German governing concerning privacy. It's held by the Federal Ministry for Economics, uh, where it also happened. And I was invited there because of my work with the German Institute for Standardization on the DIN-SPEC uh, norm 4997, Privacy by Blockchain Design. And of course, because um, of all the great work that People like Silvan Jungerios, Michael Colain, Jörn Erbgut, Olga Stevanova did. Uh, I could support them a little. And yeah, so I guess I was invited because uh, it's not a bad work what we did. And uh, I also spoke at the November event in 2019 by Jörn Erbgut on blockchain and privacy. And that's where I came into contact with Sarah Berzic, who's like responsible at the Ministry for the Blockchain Strategy of Germany. And she invited me, for which I'm very grateful. So anyhow, that's the... Um, setting. Now let's get to the points. Um, first of all, um, let's look at the facts. I was a little bit disappointed at first uh, over the outcome of the meeting, but after talking to a few people, it was, I changed my mind. It was absolutely good for the blockchain economy on many levels. Um, the first part of a meeting was totally focused on EU GDPR, and the newest developments on EU GDPR, and I'll fill you in on that too in a short manner. It started with a speech by Dr. Horst Heberlein, who is working on, uh, with the EU Commission um, on the evaluation of the EU GDPR. Um, you know, the EU GDPR was finished in 2016, but only came into effect in 2018 in May. The law um, states that after two years there should be a first evaluation about the outcome and the impact that the EU GDPR has and he's representing that evaluation which is still ongoing and he shared the results of the first evaluation and I'll just go through this in a short manner. So the evaluation focuses first on the question if the member states have actually applied the EU GDPR in their own law. As 
some of you might know, the EU GDPR is effective law. It means that the member states, the authorities, everyone within the EU has to follow the EU GDPR. But at certain point, the EU GDPR leaves playground for the member states to change things, to adapt things differently in their own countries. Um, there are some rules in the EU GDPR which say that the member states can at that level change the, change and modify or like make more detailed detailed uh, regulation in their own home countries. And so the first part of the evaluation is about how the member states did that and if they actually did that or if there's any contradictory law within the member states to the EU GDPR. The second focus of the of the evaluation is of course the state of work by the supervisory authorities and the collaboration between the supervisor authorities. And the third focus will be the question of transfer to third countries. Here was named that the EU just signed a deal with Japan about the security of data transfer. So one thing that could actually be mentioned about the state of the evaluation is that it's probably too early. At this point, with the EU GDPR being just into effect for two years, an evaluation can only be show the mo moment of the EU GDPR and not give a clear picture of its impact on in the economic field and in the internet field. There's especially no jurisdiction as of yet, so there's no, there haven't been really big court cases concerning EU GDPR. And that's why everything is still very much on the move and not fully clear at this point. One thing that seems a little clear, at least by the point of Dr. Hebelein, is that in many member, in many member states, the period between signing the EU GDPR in 2016 and when it came into effect in 2018 wasn't fully and well utilized. So... I mean, that's something that probably many people working in EU GDPR know. It still seems that though it was signed two years ago, when it came into effect in 2018, it took many enterprises by surprise. The position of the EU Council was named, which is already on the Internet. It says that the EU Council is quite content with the EU GDPR and means that it has a huge impact in a positive way. However, of course, from other parts of the EU, especially from companies and NGOs, there are, of course, quite diverse opinions on the impact of EU GDPR. Of course, also criticism, and we'll come to that in a minute. But Dr. Heberlein also underlined that, from his point of view, it's very important that we do the evaluation but we continue to discuss EU GDPR and its impact and all the problems that EU GDPR poses to create security when applying the law within the member states. So then there was a discussion in the plenum and there were representatives of the supervisor authorities in Germany um, available and in the crowd and they talked about that they think that EU GDPR is basically really good and a huge improvement. But they also said that there are still little problems in certain topics. 
um, we'll get into some. And they also underlined that the collaboration between authorities, be it on German level, but be it on European level, is already good, but could still be better. The supervisor authorities called the companies and the NGOs that were present um, to action. They said that while they, of course, are the supervising authorities for compliance with EU GDPR, they think, on the other hand, that self-regulation by such companies and especially by the NGOs representing them would be a huge step forward. That's, of course, a very German approach. We have that in some fields that the authorities um, really support self-regulation of companies that create collaborations and association and then impose rules on themselves to be compliant with the law and check on check if all members of the association really follow these rules. Um, this, this approach of self-regulation that is very German is, is something that they think could play a huge role in complying with EU GDPR as well. One thing they ask for is that we must create, even on German level, but also on other member states level, other areas of law that are compliant with EU GDPR. For example, the supervisory authorities named that they can't really check if lawyers are compliant with EU GDPR because by German law, lawyers are, of course, because of the secret of the client, protected by law and don't need really to show their files to authorities. I mean, that's something we all, of course, understand. It's the same with doctors. We don't want these are professionals that we trust. And one part of this trust is that they usually don't have to show their files and whatever you they talk to you and communicate with you to supervise your authorities. However, if, if our authorities need to check on if lawyers or doctors are complying with your GDPR, they actually would have to see those files that are stored on the service of the lawyers or, or doctors. And by current law standards, it's not possible. So there's an area where EU GDPR um, actually comes into effect because, of course, lawyers and doctors also have to comply with EU GDPR, but it's hard to check on them for other existing rules. So when there was a discussion on the evaluation by the participants, and some participants, not all, could speak. I don't want to go into all details and I don't want to name who said that, who said something unless I think um, that is very important to name that person. But here are a few things that have been named about EU GDPR and the impact of EU GDPR by the representatives present. First of all, it was named that, of course, the rights of users are in some ways exaggerated, like you all know that the users have the right to be informed, the right to rectification, the right to erasure. And while basically everybody agrees that these rights are very important, the impact of that and the bureaucracy it creates is very hard. And some of the representatives asked that in this evaluation they will be taken into consideration. There was even quite some discussion on some points um, concerning EU GDPR and how to interpret EU GDPR. And the supervisor authorities, at least one representative, stated that in case of doubt, you always should interpret, interpret um, EU GDPR in a way 
that it's the most privacy friendly and the most user friendly. And representatives of companies and NGOs stated that it's this way of interpretation of EU GDPR that poses the most problems and the most bureaucracy because it creates like bureaucracy monsters uh, at the companies with uh, making user informing users. For example, um, I think that example is quite easy to understand. If you have an ongoing relationship with a customer um, that, that even came into effect before 2016 or 2018, if a customer calls you for the first time, should you really have to tell him at the phone all the privacy rules that you and your company have and have to follow? Um, I can understand Val that that is a little that is a little weird, and that's what was named to hopefully change in the future, at least put in the evaluation. When this was discussed, one of the representatives of a supervisor authority made quite clear that EU GDPR is absolutely technology-friendly, and it's not like that EU GDPR is against technology. It's just that technology has to follow the rules of EU GDPR, that we couldn't make that happen, especially with the playgrounds, the fields where the national legal legislation can actually conc uh, concretize EU GDPR and change EU GDPR. This is where we can put into effect that EU GDPR can work out well with new technologies, even such as blockchain. From the crowd, it was actually named that the work of the supervisory authorities would be even better if they had more people that could actually counsel companies and NGOs in questions of EU GDPR and help them. So they asked for more staffing for them. So after that, which lasted for quite some time, we came into the discussion of blockchain and EU GDPR. And at the beginning, there was a, uh, was a short speech on blockchain. It was held by Dr. Robert Hilgers from da Trusted Data Solutions at Bundesdruckerei GmbH. And at first, I was a little bit disappointed with his speech because he explained blockchain in a way and he showed some applications, even some good applications, especially in health services, like for example, documentation and prevention of fraud for recepts and health service. Also for putting diploma on the blockchain, which is actually a very interesting thing for Germany and it has been even named the blockchain strategy of a federal government. Within his speech, he named for a short moment, and, I'm not, and it wasn't quite clear to me if that's actually the point of the Bundesdruckerei, that the hash data is not personal data in the diploma context. I'm not sure if that's the official opinion on all cases of personal data being hashed, but I understood it that way, that at least in this context, diplomas that are hashed are not considered to be personal data, the hash data on the blockchain, I mean. So that's an interesting point because there's, of course, a lot of discussion on that matter. From his point of view, he saw the following fields of conflict between EOGDPR and blockchain. First off, who is the responsible controller or processor in a blockchain scenario? You know, EOGDPR is the approach where there is always somebody responsible for the data 
and it's even the controller of a data process or the processor of the data. And when it comes to the blockchain scenario, one has to ask, is everybody participating in the blockchain responsible or just the miners of a software engineer of a blockchain, even if he can't control it anymore after launching it, so that's a point. This leads then to the question, if everybody has a joint controllership under EU GDPR, which then poses new law questions. When, of course, the old song of the right to erasure, as you know, within EU GDPR, I can demand from a company or any other um, point that had saved my data at some point that they erase that data. And as we both, as we all know, the blockchain is in principle immutable. You can make, of course, a correction transaction on the blockchain and an update to the blockchain. And he posed the question if that's actually the, the erasure in the meaning of the EO GDPR, that it has to be cleared in the future. He also named that blockchain, of course, has a transparency aspect, a big one. But then on the other hand, through hashing, we also got a privacy aspect, and it's unclear how that comes into balance under EU GDPR. And then, of course, the transfer to third countries is a big issue under EU GDPR, because if the nodes are worldwide, and if what we have on the blockchain would still be personal data, then it means that it would be transferred to third countries, which, of course, poses the next problem. He especially named the US here, who has a totally different approach to handling personal data. And in the end, he also underlined that from his point of view, blockchain is not the solution to everything because there's legal uncertainty still. It's not super fast from his point of view. There has been quite a discussion later if that's actually true. And it can cost quite some money for transaction and storing data on the blockchain about that there was also quite uh, some discussion and that's something I don't agree on so he, sh he called out to not see in blockchain the total solution to everything but check really in every case if blockchain is a good solution and here was a point where I was a bit disappointed because of course blockchain is not the solution to everything but from the whole I don't know from the whole feeling of that speech it didn't sound as blockchain is as promising as it is for me. But that's where I, that's one thing where I said, okay, this was disappointing to me. But my colleagues, for example, Frederick Hansen, um, he said, um, no, it's all fine because for the people present, which were not only, who were not only from the blockchain community, but from many NGOs, um, it was a good and solid speech which showed the advantages and digital advantages of blockchain and showed good use cases, so it's all fine. And on that level, I agree. So then there was a discussion. And of course, Jörn Erbgut, you know, one person I really appreciate. If you don't know Jörn, you should probably check him out very soon. He's a super expert on privacy and blockchain. He'll come out this podcast very soon too. Um, he gave a statement and he underlined that blockchain is actually able to provide extremely good privacy and, is, and from his point of view can be actually 
compliant with EU GDPR, which is all about providing good privacy and providing and securing civil liberties. And he thinks, and he lined that out very well, that EU GDPR and blockchain could work together very well. And he asked the people present not to interpret EU GDPR in a very tight way, but to open up to the idea of blockchain. So that was a very good statement that he gave there. And he, and he actually named the household exemption for EU GDPR. Um, I made a podcast about that. You might want to check it out if you want to have explained the household exemption under EU GDPR and why it could be very effective for this use case. Other members of the crowd followed Jörn Erbgut and they also stated that blockchain can be very EU GDPR compliant, but of course there are issues to tackle and that we have to solve. And it was made a conclusion that there will be more work groups and a more focused work group in the future on blockchain and EU GDPR. So that's an outcome out of this. There will be a smaller work group, a more focused work group, which will be working exactly on EU GDPR and blockchain challenges in the future together, and it will be organized by the ministry. So I'm happy about that, and I'll try my best to get into that, or at least put information into that, so that we can go on with making blockchain totally EU GDPR compliant. It was also stated by Olga Stevanova that other countries such as Spain have statements by their authorities that they, co they consider to be blockchain to be EU GDPR compliant and they gave out rules and recommendations how you should apply blockchain to make it EU GDPR compliant. And she asked the German authorities to work on something like that too because it very much helps the companies and the NGOs that are looking into blockchain because she's counseling them a lot and she says that they really are interested in the technology but they are afraid because of legal insanity and it's it's a she thinks it should be a task of the German authorities and the German federal government to give out a statement on EU GDPR and blockchain so that German enterprises can also look into blockchain much deeper with more legal certainty. One thing that was discussed mainly was also then if hashing if, um, leads to anonymization and in this case means that no personal data is stored on the blockchain. Which is of course something I also think that once you've got personal data and you don't actually store the personal data on the blockchain but just the hash, it can be from my point a case in where we have no personal data anymore. It's very debatable. So that's no legal advice as usual, but that's something I think that is a huge solution for many, many problems. Because if you don't have personal data on the blockchain, but you don't have a lot of issues with the EU GDPR. However, from the federal government came a statement that the process of anonymization needs a legal basis and could already be the use and processing of personal data. So one should be careful by saying that just by hashing, you solve all problems because maybe you don't have you don't have personal data with a hash anymore. But, pro but perhaps you have a legal challenge 
when you hash. And that's something we will probably look into too in our community. There was when a representative of an organization named Satoshi Visions who underlined that, for example, Bitcoin is very fast, that you can store a lot of data in a cheap way in Bitcoin, and that Bitcoin is super secure. So you didn't agree at all with the first speech given. One thing still, um, one representative also named that the German party CDU, the conservative party, which is the biggest party in Germany, they issued a blockchain paper last summer. And in that blockchain paper, they also state that from their point of view, hashed personal data, meaning personal data that is hashed and put on the blockchain, meaning the hash is put on the blockchain, is not personal data anymore. So that's at least one political opinion from a strong party in Germany, and hopefully one that we can work with. Michael Collane, who I had in episode 26 on my podcast, then underlined again what I'm always telling you guys too. We need to bring lawyers, entrepreneurs, and technicians together and work together on standards that can provide compliance of EU GDPR and blockchain. And he also named again the DINSPEC 4997 standard that we've been working on and that will most likely come out next month. And then I'll, of course, feature it on this podcast as well. And, of course, Michael, as you as we know him and as you learned on my podcasts about him, um, he asked that we look for solutions and not for problems and that we all work together on such solutions. And, I, of course, I quite liked his statement as much as Olga's and Jörn's. So anyhow, that was that, actually, because then the time was over. And the conclusion is that we want to make blockchain and EU GDPR compliant, that there's support for that from a ministry, that therefore we will build a new, more specialized and more focused work group in the future, and that there is now great awareness of EU GDPR and blockchain conflicts or challenges on the political level. So I hope we started something good where we'll lead to a solution in the future. Anyhow, this was that. I hope you don't mind the sound quality, but I wanted to keep you updated as soon as possible. Thanks for listening, and if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Bye-bye for now. If you want to learn more about Dennis, please visit his website, theblockchain.lawyer or connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, everyone.